0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast.
1: I'm Joe Devine and I'm delighted to be joined today by Seb Halford's floor. Hi, Seb. Hey, Joe Devine. How are you doing? I'm doing great. We're also joined by John McKenzie.
2: Hello. Hi there, how are you? I'm good.
1: And delighted to be joined today by a very special guest, Kiva O'Neill of The Athletic.
3: Hello, hello. How are you? I'm very well.
1: Good. Well, I expect you are very well, having missed all the goals today.
3: (laughs) Yeah, about that. Every time I walked out the room, a goal would happen, so then you sent me to the audio booth.
1: (laughs) We sent you to a room (laughs) on your own. (laughs) Yeah, sadly no goals (laughs) resulted from that. But we'll talk more about that later. And now listen, there's loads to get through today, arguably the most exciting day of the World Cup so far. Australia a through, goodness gracious me. Tunisia beat France as well. Um, and uh, obviously uh, we've just finished watching Poland, Argentina, Saudi Arabia, Mexico, uh, which at one point, well, I guess for almost the entirety of, uh, of the last uh, 30 minutes or so there, we were just two yellow cards away from a lot drawing. A coin toss, eh? Mm-hmm. That was exciting. I was thrilled by that. And I don't mind that I didn't get it, but, uh, you know, just the idea of maybe having had it.
4: Made me feel like there should be a few more steps between disciplinary record and drawing lots like mascot fight Mm, or, you know...
1: Or maybe how many throw-ins. of the team members are subscribed to The Athletic. Because if you visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, you can find that you can avail yourself of a deal, I, th- I believe it's £1 a month for six months, John, isn't it?
2: I believe so, yes.
1: I think it I is, think John, that that's still right. going on. And yeah. I wonder how many of the Mexico or Poland players are subscribers, because of course, uh, you know, I'm not t- telling FIFA how to do their job, although that might be a good idea. Uh, but, you know, perhaps that could be the one in between disciplinary and uh
4: coin tossing the more subscriptions you have the better your chance of qualifying for the round of 16 exactly it how it should right, be yes theathletic.com
1: uh but t- t- <laughs> that sounds bad <laughs> doesn't it? that was a bad one but I like- today i'll leave you in the warm hands and the cool embrace of kiva o'neill Yes, we're joined by Kiva to talk, uh, first of all, I think, should we just go to Poland and uh, Mexico? Explain what I was just talking about there in the intro set with the yellow card situation. What happened?
4: Right, so towards the end of that game, uh, an unlikely scenario emerged where we would need the tiebreaker at the end of the group stage because Poland and Mexico would, well, we're level on goals scored, a level on goal difference, or level on points, and... Um, mm-hmm. Well, initially we thought there might be level on yellow cards, but actually you made a mistake there. I made a mistake. Yes. Um, you I counted that wrong. You counted you wrong. You got us
3: way too excited with that. Yeah. yeah, I was excited You let us too. all down there, I did you. let you
4: down, yeah. I'm sorry about that. Again. So we had a situation where potentially with a few more yellow cards for Poland, we might have had a group in the World Cup decided by drawing lots. Oh. Which I think I'm right in saying, and please don't shout if I'm wrong, but I think it last happened in 1968. Yes. Um, But then that wasn't for groups. That was because the penalty shooter hadn't quite been invented for that European Uh, Championship. So they needed to, uh, I forget the teams, but yeah, they needed to draw lots in the dressing room after the game. So therefore, yeah. we think we're
1: right in saying that it's never happened for this reason before, where no. teams have been completely inseparable. No, no, no. no. Yeah. No. So we have okay. been to first.
3: We were so close.
1: We were so close. So close, close we to we that magic. Close. I mean, we said yesterday it's a shame to see teams go out when they uh, when they have four points in a group stage. I mean, Mexico really tried at the end there, Kiva, but they couldn't quite get it.
3: They were pushing, and they had so many chances as well. Just didn't happen for them. And then Saudi Arabia scored and that kind of just threw us off again and we didn't quite know what that meant. And we were sort of all running around a bit mad. We? Uh, but yeah, didn't didn't happen for them. A couple of offside goals, which, yeah, just, yeah, it was d- difficult to watch at times.
1: Yeah, John, how do you feel about watching Poland for the last sort of 20 minutes or so? It wasn't clear whether the um, message had been communicated to the team or not, not, definitely not to concede any more goals or get any more yellow cars, but they certainly stopped doing anything
2: well it's sort of been the story of their world cup so far not looking particularly not doing anything yeah which i suppose is fine if you consider yourself to be an underdog but when you look at the team that they've got they do have a fairly strong squad compared to a lot of other underdog teams and obviously they have robert Lewandowski, who is one of if not the best number nine in the world so i think for a lot of us there's there's questions to be raised about their attitude to, to sort of being this this sort of passive team, um, and and why they think that that's the best way to play. But yeah, yeah, I was, I mean, as Danny Murphy was saying throughout the the BBC stream, he was very disappointed in how little um, industry they had in terms of trying to produce anything.
1: Yeah, okay, I'm 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 desperately upset to tell you all. Uh, well, Kiefer, this won't really impact you. But uh, I just noticed JJ Bull in the live chat. And, and I say live chat because if you're listening to this podcast, you can you can watch us uh, uh, doing it live on YouTube um, immediately after games. You can join us uh, uh, any, any game day to do that. But I've noticed JJ Bull is in the live chat. We were very excited before because he'd forgotten so far to send his predictions for points are bad. But I've just checked my phone and he sent them. So he won't be incurring the penalty points, which would have leveled it out.
4: We should have expected more. Do you think honest. he sends them late to cause a little bit more havoc? Maybe, maybe just, just to, to go kind the of fluster side. you a little bit and yeah, unsettle it, the podcast it is plan. working style. Isn't that is, it? that is, that is JJ. That's yeah. classic is. JJ.
1: Well, speaking of working style, um, Argentina—they yes. did need Messi today. I mean, absolutely fantastic save for the penalty they saved from Chesney, Shez, uh,
4: but Messi was still brilliant, wasn't he? He was. Although, obviously, Joe, I was watching Saudi Arabia and Mexico, so and this that's is probably a John I was, question. Should have been looking yes. at John. <laughs> yes,
2: yes. Yeah, we saw similar stuff from. From Argentina, uh, so we saw Messi on the board in front of me here. I've got Messi in the middle of a, of a front three ish. So they're pretty much playing a four-four-two diamond. We talked in the last game that they played against Mexico that a lot of what Argentina are trying to do is go through the middle to to generate space to exploit through the middle. Um, they they pretty much keep everyone bar bar pretty much Di Maria. Then you've got the the two the fullbacks. That's the, they're the only players you're really getting um, with from. And we talked a lot in the last. Uh, in the coverage of the last game about how Argentina were struggling to build up through the middle uh, and if they could find better ways of, of doing things other than relying on Messi. Obviously, Messi was, as you say, very good good in this game. But I did notice um, an interesting thing that Argentina were doing out of possession, which actually made them a little bit more dangerous as a prospect attacking. So uh, obviously... Um, Poland play in a, in a very conservative formation. So we've got them on the board here in a 4-4-2 mid block. And the reason why they would play like that is because if the opposition are trying to go through the middle, then they're just going to get as many bodies there as possible, compact things up, leave space in the wide areas and say, you don't really have the sorts of players who are going to be dangerous um, from crosses. So we'll give you the wide areas. You can get into those wide areas and cross, but we reckon that our centre-backs you know, camel-glick. Um, for example, a uh, tall guy, we're going to have the advantages in those situations. Um, so actually what I noticed was that in the build-up phase, so Poland building up out of a 4-4-2 four, four, uh, as well. Um, so let's just move everyone up. In the build-up phase, Argentina did something quite different to what most teams would do in that they put their wide players in the front line quite, quite wide, mm. sat Messi on one of the pivot players and then went player for player with the... Um, with the remaining midfielders like this. And what this did was sorry, the pedant in me is making everything correct. But um, let's say that the ball is with Camel Glick now. So Camel Glick's the right sided centre back. He's got the ball. Uh, the only option that is being shown to him really is uh, in this instance, um, Bielik. So the idea then is uh, look around my mic. Um, to to invite this pass into the midfield, stop the options out wide uh, and then press player for player in the middle. The idea idea being that if this pass comes in, you can counter press quite quickly, win the ball back and then you've got a much more open structure to attack from Mm. um, rather than, when you're in possession, when Poland are going to be much more narrow, much more compact and much deeper. Mm. So I did notice that uh, Argentina were trying to use that out-of-possession structure as a way of generating chances that would allow them to turn the ball over and be a little bit more dangerous in that way.
1: Yeah, I mean, it seemed to work for them. Every time I looked at the TV, that Argentina were attacking in one form or another. They still looked a little bit blunt in attack, um, but they certainly had the lion's share of the ball.
3: Yeah, they've got some great players, but I said to John, they just keep trying to pass to Messi and then you said... Wouldn't you? And I was kind of like, oh yeah, that, that makes sense. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like that held them back in the first half, but then the second half they really got going and and they, did, they didn't they did stop trying to pass to Messi because obviously you try and pass to Messi a lot. But other players came into it. McAllister obviously scoring a lovely goal and then Julian Alvarez as well. I thought they could have scored more. I think they had, was it, six big chances created and they missed all of them. Obviously the penalty save as well which was Chesney is on fire there many mm. that double save the other day I'm still reeling off it best oh, save yeah. of the tournament so far like it's already won it that's that's done we don't need to talk about saves anymore.
1: <laughs> okay we'll be sure to note that for future editions of the TV podcast you we were saying uh, during the game you have seen Messi play live haven't you
3: yeah twice once in Anfield and once many years ago in Barcelona, yeah. I watched them pass. I say once in pass.
2: Anfield, as though it wasn't the 4 1 win against Barcelona. 4 <laughs> 4-0, <laughs> 4-0, like, yeah. 0. I, yeah. I,
3: I was saying, I'm in that picture of like Messi where he's got his hands on his hips, and I'm like this tiny little face in the distance, and the scoreboards like above him. Probably should get that like printed out or you something. You should.
1: With a sort of highlighter. If anyone's watching Richard. and
3: wants to get me a Christmas present, <laughs> that could be quite a nice one, couldn't it?
1: Seb, so have you seen Messi live? No. No. Never. Do you want to?
4: Presumably you, you, could, you could make that happen. Well, it's actually quite conflicting because I, I'd want to see him live at Barcelona when he's about 28 years old yeah. so that you're not seeing... You know when, like... Um, I think that you,
2: ship's passed, does not it? Yeah. Well,
4: yeah, but you know when, like, you get a heavyweight fight between people who should have fought, like, five years ago and they're past their prime, and you kind of... You still want to see it, but once you've seen it, you think... Ah! Ah, yeah. I kind of wish I'd been earlier. It's moments gri- like this where I regret that our perception of time is linear. I said. Yes, indeed. Mm. Yes, indeed. He's still a very, very good player, but I have kind of missed the boat in seeing him at his very, very yeah. best, I think. so. But you
3: could watch that advert where there's like all of the messies.
4: That's true. Yeah. Multiple messies in the
1: advert. You've seen him.
2: I have. I went to see him last season. Yes, yeah. it was last season in the Champions League when PSG played against Man City and he had a fairly disappointing game, to be honest. Sure. I went to watch Messi and ended up watching Rodri and was much more impressed with him. But it was it was one of those, it's a bucket list moment, isn't it? Where you want to, you want to make, you want to just be able to say, I, I, I saw him. But. It's
1: exactly the kind of thing you would do. That is
2: bang on but When I walked yeah. into
1: the office earlier, uh, France was on the big screen and John was huddled around the small TV watching Denmark, weren't you?
2: Sometimes I do that. Yeah. It's nice to concentrate on It's nice job. to
1: concentrate for sure. Um, Listen, Argentina are through the group now. There we go. There was a wobble in the first game against Saudi Arabia. We, we did a po- you weren't here last night, John, but we did a poll at the beginning in the live chat and asked people who they thought would win the World Cup. There were only four options and Argentina were the, f- were the fourth. They got about 10% of the vote. Brazil had about 50%. Uh, and our contention is that that is perhaps as a, as a direct result of slipping up to Saudi Arabia, a game in which they did lose, but they really weren't as bad as people remember.
2: I think one of the most fascinating things about the World Cup is that you watch teams play very few games and you watch them play against teams of varying talent discrepancies, right? Mm. So Argentina lose to Saudi Arabia. And the question is like, how indicative is that of anything? Is it going to be the case that actually against the good sides, Argentina are going to be good? Um, and, and therefore does that loss to uh, Saudi Arabia actually not really put in anything? Um, I don't think we have enough knowledge right now to know how they're going to look in those good games. So, and I, I suppose that's the joy of knockout football, right? Or tournament football is that so much of what you're seeing is just a crapshoot in many respects. And, um, yeah. uh, that's, that's sort of why it becomes so hard to, to judge where teams are at. So Argentina, we've seen that they've had problems with their build up, their creativity. Um, and I think they've shown in the last couple of games that they're dealing with those things better. So Enzo Fernandez came in today uh, and was able to sit in the midfield a little bit better. And that meant that Messi didn't have to do all of the build-up, which is sort of what happened in the Mexico game. Um, and I, th- I feel as though Mex- uh, Argentina actually had more solutions in wide areas. So I've talked about how they didn't have many, they don't have many uh, wide players in their team. They play quite a narrow formation. But I felt today like they used Molina quite well. I, the Obviously the, the, the goal itself, the first goal, um, from McAllister came from him cutting the ball back to the edge of the box, and then the second goal as well actually saw the ball go to Molina, Lena a couple of times, and then again they played this um, this this pass from the from the corner of the the the, the byline of the box. How do mm. you describe that area? The corner
1: of the byline of the box. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought I was right. 18 yards away from the goal on the byline.
2: Yes, Yeah. Um, and back towards the D. So long cutbacks, not the sorts of cutbacks that we expect, which you would think would go to the edge of the six-yard box. Mm. This is right to the edge of the D. Um, and we saw a couple of those in, in this game, and I think that that's going to be... It just gives them a, a little bit more flexibility in terms of build-up options. Yeah. Um, so I, they are making progress in that respect, but the question is, how much is their problem? Is just a problem breaking down a low block rather than playing against a team who are going to be more um, expansive in attack.
1: Yeah, okay. Seb, let's talk about the other game uh, yeah. briefly. Saudi Arabia, Mexico, both teams out. As we said already, Mexico out because they have more yellow cards. It'll be yeah. difficult for them to, to accept. Um, what did you make
4: of, of that game? Well, uh, first half was very, very competitive and Saudi Arabia were kind of as advertised. They were physical in midfield. They passed the ball pretty well. They didn't really create anything, Joe. They didn't um, They didn't really threaten the Mexican goal. Everything seemed to change after the first goal. Uh, Mexico scored from a pretty rudimentary set piece. Flick on, back post, goal 1-0. And then things started to change a little bit. It started to open up. Obviously, Saudi Arabia then, you know, needed to take the initiative or needed to try to because they needed to score um and i think what worries me about mexico i mean not worries me that much because they're out of the tournament now so i don't you know need to worry on mexico's behalf but even after they had the game by the scruff of the neck they didn't create a lot they scored a second goal through i think what will become the goal of the tournament brilliant brilliant chavez free kick it was one of those where uh probably about 30 yards out from goal and he he manages to get enough pace and whip on it that it's unstoppable mm. even from that distance which is quite amazing because when it's that far out the goalkeeper isn't really unsighted so you know how sometimes a free kick on the edge of the box the wall is is almost an aid for the attacking player because the goalkeeper can't see it until it's up and over the top of it the, the highest player and then by that time it's too late to react this one if you look at the the camera angle from behind the goal uh, the keeper sees it the whole way yeah. and yeah, there's just nothing he can do the about it. The arc is extraordinary isn't it? Yeah it is amazing it's a brilliant free kick and exactly. he
3: only takes shots from like 30 yards out it's yeah. like <laughs> exactly he refuses that. to take them any closer.
4: It was his first goal from Mexico as well which I given how good he is at set pieces I was, um, mm. I was surprised Luis Chavez from Pachuca I think that's how you pronounce it Pachuca maybe I'm sure that the chat will correct me um i'm sure they will they've already they,
2: corrected us on chesney so yeah how, how do we say it, chesney i don't know how you say it i think if you're pronouncing it you're pronouncing it wrong it's okay. one of those ones okay. i
4: think i think what we'll take look it's a disappointment for mexico because they are under par in this tournament they would have hoped to at least have got to the under, uh, to the round of 16 and then broken their round of 16 curse after that that's not going to happen for the saudis i think i think they come out like in a really good place they're not Obviously they're eliminated, but it's, I think it's the first time they've got out of the. They would have got out of the group since 1994, and it's the first time that I've seen a Saudi Arabian team compete in the way that they have done mm. uh, in the in a World Cup group and in a strong, relatively strong World Cup group too. Because okay, so um, there are deficiencies with Poland and Mexico. Uh, but at the same time, Mexico are full of good footballers, even if one of them isn't a number nine. Yeah. Um, Poland have one of the best forwards in world football yeah. uh, from the last decade.
1: And they and have that guy at the back who looks like he's 45 years old. Yes. What's his name?
4: Camel Glick. Camel Glick. Glick. And Argentina are Argentina. And in every game, they were competitive. In every game, they didn't just sit behind the ball. They were aggressive. They were yeah. assertive. There are some good footballers on that side too. Um, and so they're enjoyable to watch. I think... I think what ultimately costs them is a little bit of naivety around certain areas. Like you can't do anything about the second Mexico goal tonight. It's just too good. The first, you can't concede that goal at a world cup. Like mm. It's just, it's, it's, it's the set piece. Like it's, it's kind of the default set piece routine setting. Like if you go into football manager and you can't really be bothered to do all your set piece design and, and that kind of stuff and you just go, right, we'll just do that one. It's kind of the near post flick, isn't it? With mm. the back post runner. Um, But, you know, they they put in a really good account of themselves, so I'm sure they can be happy. Mexico, um, we've talked a lot about timing during this World Cup, about generations of players. They just didn't have the players in the right position. Jimenez's pass is best. Um, chicharito is gone. It's, yeah, let's see what they've got in the next generation.
1: We had a conversation halfway through uh, this game, (coughs) excuse me, about the progression of Asian teams in the World Cup. And then we looked at the, the history of it, Seb, and it turned out... I was surprised particularly by how how often Japan... Uh, specifically, have made it to the round of sixteen. Um, South Korea a couple of times as well. Uh, obviously, both of those teams could still technically uh, get through. I think mm-hmm. in both cases, it's it's the less likely outcome. Yes. Particularly for um, Japan,
4: Joe. I think they, they've yeah. kind of yeah.
1: In terms of uh, in terms of teams that play within Asian competition, Australia mm-hmm. are now the team confirmed through who will play, I don't know if you guys know this. Will play Argentina by the way in the next round, which is very exciting. Looking forward to that game. Um, but uh, I guess with, uh, with Saudi Arabia confirmed out, yeah, we're waiting for Japan or South Korea to see if there'll be representation.
4: Yeah, I, I don't know what to read from it, Joe. I think, I think in a different situation, uh, Japan should have beaten Costa Rica. I don't yeah. think that's particularly controversial. They are better player for player. South Korea could have got more out of their games as well. Absolutely. I think both should be through. And also if you look at sort of the players that have been produced by both countries over the last 20 years, um, go back to sort of um, Nakata for Japan. I. It's not like they've been short of quality. No, But um, well, this is
1: the thing, they get out of the group more often than they don't. I mean, I, I think that's what surprised me about It's like not having an encycl- encyclopedic knowledge of World Cup history that um, if you're a, if you're a, a Japan fan, uh, this week and they don't go through that is that is a disappointment based on the last 20 years of history
4: yeah because i think if you if you go back to with japan if you go back to for instance 2010 that was a really good japanese side in mm. south africa i remember the game where they, they absolutely battered denmark um that was the um a honda game mm. where he, he scored that sort of 35 yard free kick which bent all over the place um And then they ended up losing in that tournament to Paraguay. And you thought, that was quite disappointing because they were probably Paraguay's equal. And then you want to see a little bit of progress further forward. And I think one of the reasons why we all got excited about them initially is because in the first game, they showed this wonderful array of attacking players and variation that um, just dovetailed quite beautifully and was far too, well, not far too good for Germany, but was good enough to beat Germany and expose the weaknesses in their Mm defence. And then the Costa Rica performance happened. And it feels like... Um, it feels like you're right on the crest of something in terms of progress and something meaningful. Like, And and it just, they it, it let it slip a little bit. So that's disappointing. And also uh, South Korea need to go through really because Song Hyun Min will be 34 by the time that the, the next World Cup comes around. Is he 30 years old? Yeah, he's turned 30. Uh, he's either 29 or 30, but he will be um, <coughs> past his physical best by then i, think, you I think he's perennially 26 he's been around for a very long time and he seems to have been at the same level for a very long time yeah. so you can understand that mind trick he's also aged very well yeah. well done yeah. <laughs> yeah uh but yeah so to take advantage of a, a world-class player you need to to put him in in the round of 16 but he's by no means the only one that south korean side is talented so it's a shame that um it be, will be a shame if they go out
1: sure certainly Okay, um, well, having watched Argentina today, Kiva, who are, generally speaking, not just of all teams that play today, but who, who are your favourites for the tournament? John Hayes, I when ask this question, by the way, but you, I'm not asking you to predict <laughs> who's going to win. That's
2: not what you asked just me. To, just I don't to mind you clear. asking about favourites, that's
1: just fine. To be, but like... Just to be clear, I'm not asking you to predict who will win, but I, I, I just want to know who you think might win.
3: Might win. I, I've got a feeling for Brazil, but I feel like everyone has. Sure, um, hey, that's a pretty good feeling. Spain, I think... Definitely one to watch. I mean, I just like watching uh, Gavi and Pedri in midfield. I kind of just like certain players and want to watch a team because of them. I yeah. think that's quite sure. quite a normal Who thing. Who else
1: we got on that list? You got Gavi and Pedri. Uh, I, can, I completely understand. Rodri. It. Rodri. Imagine
2: that. Gavi, Pedri, Rodri. Imagine midfield. watching Rodri. <laughs> you love Rodri. I really, I, I do love Rodri. Yeah.
1: Do you love Henderson though? No. No, he doesn't love Henderson. See, so.
2: that's
3: sad. Sorry. I'm sorry about that.
1: What about what about Fabinho? No. Do you really? like any Liverpool That's... players?
3: Why don't you like yeah. Fabinho?
2: I he's fine. I prefer Rodri.
4: So you're unmoved okay. by Fabinho rather than you don't hate him? I don't hate him. I don't okay. hate right. many players, I don't think. I mean, you, quite a lot of the Leeds ones <laughs> <seem> to, yeah. <laughs> That's different there, isn't it? <laughs> that? That's different.
2: Um, Liverpool players. Yeah, they've got some good ones. Virgil van Dijk, he's all right, isn't he? Yeah. What do you reckon? His to? first
3: World Cup. Is it his first? First ever World Cup. Is it? His oh, first yeah, major tournament. He's just never you yeah of course it is isn't
4: 2010 it? that seems rude because, yeah, because, because the netherlands have had Failed a bad guy and
3: yeah. then he's, he was injured when he did get to the euros and he was meant to captain them and it was like wow. literally a month out how old is he 30
1: oh wow talk about living through the I wrong think. generation
2: tell you a liverpool player who i love joel matip right what a great player he what, is why is that just a lot i, do, I love a center back who's really good at ball carrying right and i think he's like both good at ball carrying, but in a sort of completely rogue way that most, sure, sure. most aren't. Well,
1: them. we all have our kinks, John McKenzie. We what do. Can I say? Um, let's go to a break now. And when we come back, we will talk more about the other set of games that happened today.
0: This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, what a lovely break.
1: Tunisia, France. Did you watch this Gamekeeper?
3: Did I watch this game? Was I still in the cupboard then or Tunisia-France?
1: It <laughs> was a goal, which presumably oh, you France. Won, won, the yeah. other game, of course, was Australia 1-0 yeah. Denmark. Was that your game?
3: I think I sort of watched a little bit of both. I mean, I was busted okay. for Tunisia in a way because you'd be France. I know they made like nine or slash a million changes. You'd beat France at a World Cup. You should be going through on that, surely. Sure.
1: And also, if you aren't going through, it's presumably not because Australia are, John.
2: What's the
3: the question?
2: I guess guess it was
1: an odd way of phrasing it. I guess what I'm saying is Tunisia will have started that game against France, knowing they needed a win, Mm. but imagining that it wouldn't have been enough uh, because Denmark might go through or because a draw in the other game would would present issues. But I think the the last thing they would have expected would be to finish the game and realise it's Australia going through in second and not Tunisia. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Good stuff. How did Australia get through, John? Because we thought they were done for.
2: Are we talking about Australia now? Sorry. That's, that's, that was the, the
1: team in the question. Okay. Yeah,
2: yeah Australia. Um, the majority of whose compatriots seem to dislike me right now because I said they were amongst the worst teams in the competition. And um, yet they have progressed. Yeah, they've gone through, which obviously... Disproves what I said. Tournament football, eh? Hey? Yeah, tournament Fed football. Dinkum,
4: John, you are guilty as charged here.
2: So, now I have to say that Seb is being very smug about this one because for some reason he has become something of a minor celebrity in Australia <laughs> somehow, and uh, he's been riling the, the people of John's Australia up against. John's sassiness increases
4: every day, every night, every, every night. No, we, we take it up to a new level. It's a dog eat
2: dog world. If you don't stand up for yourself on this podcast, then it's, then you you burn and die. Don't listen to environment. him. Don't stand up for yourself. Don't let them don't let them get on top. Uh, but yeah, Australia have played the tournament really well. They've done what they've had to do. They have played um, really, I think really disciplined football. They've, um, they've defended really well. They've counterattacked really well. Um, they've scored three goals in, in the tournament and mm. that's been enough to, to carry them through. Um, and yeah, that they've, they've done what they had to do with the players that they had. And that's, as you said before, tournament football, but, um, you can only do um, what you, what you can do and that's what they have done. Um, and yeah, they've beaten today a very impressive Denmark side in, in previous tournaments, right? So we, a lot of people had Denmark as the dark horses, um, for, for this world cup and, and they finished bottom of the group, I think. So, um, yeah, really impressive what they did. Denmark have a really, um, a dangerous set of attacking players and Australia were able to to keep them quiet today mm. uh, score the goal when they needed to and that was all they needed to get through the group so yeah Fine. impressive
1: okay uh, tell me about that goal Seb yeah well first before we
4: do that I I, I mean I, I know what people are saying about Australia and I know that in the round of 16 they're you know they, they face a really tough task Argentina it's really difficult not to be moved by what they've achieved right so you have listen to him lap up the praise of no, australian but honestly, people because john I, this
1: is what, what he comes loves about. his
4: minor celebrity <laughs> there doesn't <laughs> he yes, do. tell us more about why we should be so moved just because it's a group of players who are entirely written off before the tournament starts and not without reason because they don't from an individual basis no no not not john and not and by JJ, john. just no by, of course. by, by all the previews. just jj yeah just jj by everyone <laughs> and yet they come together and they stand firm against all of that negativity and they play they don't just sit behind the ball and wait for their opportunities. They play good football. It's mm. well-constructed. And also, look at some of the scenes back in Australia. Like Look at some of the pictures we saw from Melbourne today, yeah. like at three in the morning or whatever the time was when that game finished. Like That is what a World Cup is supposed to be. And it's not like, okay, so the last couple of nights we we spend our days moaning about Gareth Southgate this and play this player because he plays in my club and that player because he doesn't and, and that kind of stuff. And you just think like this is really great because you you see the way in which it can, I, I dare say, and I I, have, I haven't I'm I'm sure these accounts will come out after the World Cup is finished, but like it's how you bring new people into the game because you have a thing that people can you can bond over and hey, do you remember that time we went down to wherever in Melbourne or Sydney or Canberra or whatever and we watched the game and you know that is that's the essence of the game, right? And um, also to see what it meant to that group of players after the match. The coaching staff to the coach who has been who has received a torrent of criticism graham um, arnold yeah including from ex players very high profile ex players and not suggesting that 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 criticism is undue it's just that it's a hard job if you're if you're if you're kind of down to it every turn and and from what i've read and i might be wrong in this but from everything i've read He's been going really on a result-by-result result basis in terms of his reputation and his future with um, the Australian Football Association, certainly with the media. And and so to see this happen against a very, very good Danish side, Denmark did nothing. Like Denmark did nothing. Sure. This was not Matt Ryan playing the game of his life. It was a really, really strong collective performance. I do want to talk about the goals. So how about you give me 30 seconds to set up and then...
1: Well, it that's good. That, that's good timing because Kiva, I know you wanted to talk about Graham Arnold.
3: I really like him. <laughs> honestly, just there's not enough post-match interviews we get to see. We get to see like 30 seconds, and it's just gold. Everything he says is brilliant. So I think after they beat Tunisia, he was like all the lads down the pub, sort of in like his local. He sort of like shouted out to them, which I just it was very grounding and <laughs> humble and lovely. And then uh, after the game today, he said uh, he was like. They had no celebrations and that's why they won against Tunisia. They didn't celebrate. So he was like, no celebrations, no emotions, no uh, just sleep and no social media, mm. which I think he's depriving us some Jackson Irvine content there <laughs> on the gram and whatnot because he is everyone's favorite footballer. And yeah, I just, I really like this Australian team. That, like Seb mentioned there, they're them stories that you can just fall in love with. Mm. And like Harry Sousa, my new favorite player, Play, can do it for stoke and he's doing it for australia at the world cup he, he's going to play against messi and he's he could keep Messi. let's not talk about pockets here but he could keep Messi quiet or he might not <laughs> let's right. see what happens
4: okay seb don't talk about pockets though when you i will not i will not i'm, yeah. I'm glad kiva mentioned harry Suter because the move starts with him so um some of the players are not in their right positions i'm just kind of trying to give an idea of shape um so i've i've um, arrange the board in the position of, with players in the position um, ahead of the the move which results in the only goal of the game. So Harry Suter makes a block um, and I think I've got the ball at his feet and I think in a lot of situations like this when you're when you're under pressure, the temptation is kind of just to do that, right? Or to hit a channel and, and hope someone can run onto it and, and force a turnover. But if you watch the move, it's actually a really good bit of football. And we talked about this. We talked about how like the, the moment after the clearance is super important and what the player on the ball is willing to do. So um, Suter takes a touch, plays out to about here, Mitch Duke comes out um, to receive the ball. And because he does that, because he plays a pass forward, he takes, I'd have to watch it back again or, or see the screenshot, but it's about three players who are just taken out of the game immediately. Mm. And then right my defenders here are not actually in the right position, but I'm just kind of organizing them in a, a sort of random shape. Um, uh Duke then instead of just kind of um taking a foul potentially back into the defender and winning a cheap free kick from the, from the referee, plays a ball out to in this direction. And um for those who are listening, it's just a right to left pass for about 10-15 yards. Jackson Irvine, who um I'm a massive fan of the person as well as the player, um, you know, just a a, a great example he sets in football, I think. Um, steps over the pass, doesn't just Panic, hack it anywhere. Again, like Jude doesn't just try and win a free kick or get the ball off the pitch. Steps over the ball. Um, and that's the, the kind of the moment which gives McGree the, the the room to move into. So he's just ahead of the the, um, the halfway line here. And it's a kind of, I think it's a three on three rather than a three on four. But also the other thing to look at, and this is about sort of instruction. And this is kind of another little example of why I've been moved by Australia. Matthew Leckie runs probably about 90 yards before he scores. Like, mm. And he gets to sort of, I, I've got him um, just outside the, the Danish penalty box. During the game, John and I were having a conversation about teams who counterattack and John was schooling me all, all kinds of tactical bits. But like one of the things that's frustrated me about teams who've counterattacked in this tournament is that, when they do it, and when they have like a, a two-on-two or a three-on-three, they feel the compulsion to do everything as quickly as possible. Last pass, quick as possible. Cross, quickly as possible. Don't think about it. Don't try and build a phase. Just get the ball forward quickly as possible. Whereas at the moment when it matters most, like he cuts his defender inside, outside, produces the angle, scores. And it's a brilliant finish. Yeah. Like, it's a really, really good bit of football. Like, and so yeah, they're defensive because like. They're individual, they lack kind of individual star power to be anything other than that. At the same time, when they're exiting, when they're coming out of um, defence, that actually produced some pretty well put together phases. And, and, and that's what counted because if with, with a goalless draw, Australia are out because Tunisia mm. beat France uh, and they needed to win this game and, and they got the reward for something that they've actually done quite well throughout the tournament, even just in small bursts.
1: Yeah. Okay, John, John McKenzie, we know, we know you hate Australia with a passion, but um, you love Denmark and for me so far in the group stages um the biggest surprise i think of the whole tournament is that Denmark end this group with one point they lost the first two games they've drawn this game here and it felt all the way through because we know the quality they have in their team and uh, we know that they play australia last the assumption is always the okay the first result doesn't go your way fine maybe you get something out of the second game the second one doesn't go your way but you're going to you're going to win the last game so you'll still get you'll still sneak through they just never really kicked into gear. I mean, it's been a huge disappointment, hasn't it?
2: Yeah, it has. I, can I just say what a disgusting mess he left on the
1: Seb staff of on the board? Yeah,
2: just no, no but, uh, attempt, disgusting no mess.
1: australia made no no of your predictions. <laughs> why don't do you, do you answer my question and then uh, Seb can sort out the mess that he yeah. That's made. What do you think about that?
2: Yeah, well, I wanted to talk a little bit about the disappointment in terms of what Denmark didn't do against um, the Australian block. We've talked a lot about four four two. Now he's broken the board. I broken um, the board. <laughs> You're right in your sens- on, sensibilities him, you? to yeah. not let him.
1: Is it always
3: like this? Yes.
1: He's good if he's holding a book. Chaos. You Chaos. Know? Seb's yeah. a
4: very old sort of guy with I need, books. I need props, Kiva. I need also sort of less responsibility for things and and yeah. i need one task at a time he flooded my bathroom the other day i cleaned it up there afterwards no, no, no I didn't, I, hey listen I, I didn't say you didn't clean up of yourself i came into the office and i said i've got good news and bad news the good news is i have cleaned up the flood in the bathroom the yeah. bad news is irrelevant beyond that point sure there yeah. was a flood no and there was
1: also a flood in the bathroom of denmark's world cup group stage
4: that's right yeah so
2: we've already talked about how 4-4-2 mid-blocks are quite popular in this World Cup because it's a quite simple way of setting up. You've got yeah. your two banks of four, so you've got four defenders, four midfielders, uh, and then you, two two strikers in front of that. And it, it's just a really nice way of playing. You can get quite compact, so what you'll see is the, you'll, you'll often see the, the back four within the, the, the lines of the penalty area. Um, and what what, we're, what you're doing is, as we said when we talked in the last section, is just allowing teams to get um, c- certain amounts of joy in the wide spaces. Um, you'll let them play it around the back, force them wide, and then make it hard work for them to to really generate any really dangerous situations. And so it it seems surprising to me that a team like Denmark can come in and then struggle to, to have any kind of visible ideas about how they're going to break down these, these sorts of blocks. So I just wanted to show what you would, what you would normally do in these sorts of situations. So um, Denmark have a, a, a front three of uh, a Brathwaite, Lindstrom and Skov Olsen, and they use these in, in pretty much wide areas, right? So you stick your center forward in between the two center backs and you call that pinning. So what you want, what you're going to try and do is generate as much space as possible or force the, the center backs uh, deeper, generate space in, in the, Around the D, so just in between the lines of of the defence. And then the two other wide players are going to then pin uh, on the other axis. So you're going to try and pull the defence apart as much as possible. And what people may have noticed from this game is that both Scott Olsen and Lindstrom had a huge amount of space uh, on either side. So uh, let's say the ball is over on the left-hand side here. You'll see the Australian team pull across over on the
1: left side. They all come together. Yes, so yes. it's very compact. So they sort of move as a compact block. That's right. Mm.
2: And now a lot of people will say, you know, just pass the ball across across the field. Switch it. Switch the play. Yes,
1: yes. that's what they say in football, isn't it? Mm. Yes. Yeah. And <laughs> look at me go.
2: Obviously, a lot of um, a lot of football teams play in this way. What we what we often call this is marking in advance. So the idea being that the amount of time that it takes the ball to go from Uh, from one side of the pitch to the player on the other side of the pitch, the opposition can then shift across in that, in that time. uh, And then your, your block gets to the other side. It's funny
1: that, isn't it? Because do you remember in the film goal where they do that whole bit where they say, if you pass the ball, it moves quicker than if you run with it, but it doesn't always, does it? Depends how hard you kick it.
2: You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So (laughs) no, you're, you're absolutely right for, for once. Um, (laughs) But the, the, I think the big trick here is is that these the the mid block press that Australia were playing was quite an aggressive one. Um, so they've got their two forwards just located around the uh, the pivot player here. So um, that's Hoiberg for for Denmark. What's going to happen is if the ball is on this side, then. This striker, the ball side striker, so the striker nearest the ball, mm. is going to push out and put this centre back under pressure. And what that means is that the other striker then will drop in, make sure that there's no pass going to 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 the pivot player. And that yeah. that's just going to be a concertina effect. So if the ball's over here, that will happen on that side. So they've been quite aggressive. They're making sure that this pivot player isn't free because they've only got two midfielders against two opposition midfielders. So yeah. you have to be careful to. So not the, striker the, the strikers player.
1: work as a pair to keep Hoiberg out of the game. Basically, yeah.
2: yeah. Um, and then usually what will happen is you're trying to force the ball into the, the fullback. So by, by doing this, what you're doing with your striker is essentially you're going to try and close off the pass to the other center back as well. Mm. So you're going to force the ball into, into this wide area. Now at this point, um, this will trigger a a press. So usually the, the wide player on the, for Australia on the ball side is going to come across now to, to the fullback here. And the big question is, is how are you going to generate space in this sort of area because what you're trying to do is you're trying to pull this fullback out of position, yeah. the ballside fullback, and then get one of your players in. So Denmark spent the whole time trying to get Lindstrom and Skob Olsen in, into favourable positions in those, these wide areas. Yeah. And I just didn't think that they did a particularly good job of that. Because what you're wanting to do in these situations is pull this player out. Obviously, that if it's an aggressive press, you know that the, the the Australia players are going to go player for player. And so usually what you'll see, a couple of options that you have. One of them is for this the wide play here, so Lindstrom to pull closer to Mela, and then pull this player out. Now, this yeah, what, you're,
1: what you're showing here on the board is Australia's fullbacks being sort of dragged up the pitch towards the ball, yeah. and then leaving space in behind them.
2: Yeah, and the idea then is you're generating space for for these sorts of passes now. So Mela could play the pass here to Ericsson. Mm. Ericsson could play a bounce pass into this area. And then Lindstrom, having dropped deep, can now run into the space that he's created to pick the ball up in this sort of area. A turn turn
1: of pace there. Yeah, Yeah.
2: exactly. So there's plenty of different options that you have to sort of develop space in these sorts of wide areas
1: do you know like those little uh, games that some the very boring games you get out of christmas crackers sometimes with nine tiles on with yeah, one oh, tile yeah, yeah, free yeah. where you yeah. have to shift them all around and you can only move one at a time in order to make the it's picture like mm. primark rubik's cube the, this is kind of what yeah. we're seeing here and the aim is to get australia's fullback out of position <laughs> it would be a more fun christmas present
2: yeah and so I've, I felt as though throughout the whole game there was options for them to try and generate space, uh, but they but but Dan- Denmark really weren't um, able to exploit this sort of stuff. And it, mm. I think when you have players of the caliber of Christian Eriksen who can, you know, he can pick the ball up into the, in this sort of pocket that's been generated by by movement, and then he can play the ball into the wide area. He can get the ball. Uh, into zone fourteen, as as the as a lot of coaches call it, just um, around the D, as, yeah. as as you might might call it more colloquially. Uh, and then you've got different options that you can play. I just felt as though they didn't really make Australia work hard enough in terms of knowing that because they were playing an aggressive, fairly player to player press when the ball was around them, they just weren't yeah. generating space enough for their teammates to then exploit. So um, in that respect, I, I feel as though Australia deserved to win the game because Denmark had the ability to. Caused them problems and they just didn't. For
1: sure, didn't yeah. Um, zone fourteen sounds like a, a teens laser tag centre.
4: Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. I think that's... going a,
4: down zone fourteen on a Friday night, going to have a diet coke. Yeah, yeah. You know, that and, sort a, of and thing. like a, mm-hmm. what are those, what are those sort of um, those, those drinks called that you used to get at ice rings like slushies. Oh, slushies. slushies, slush puppies. They gave you the brain freeze. Uh, the, the, were they oh. slush puppies or am I getting confused yeah, between slush right. puppies? Are they shoes? You have proved you're younger than me. Well done. Shoes. I never
3: understood that you go ice skating and. Get a really cold drink. It,
1: you haven't, uh, yeah.
3: It doesn't really make any sense. It
1: seems like there's a kind of disconnect in the, in the thought
4: there, doesn't it? yeah, you
3: probably want a warm drink.
4: Yeah. Having said that, though, I do prefer a cold drink. But you wouldn't, Kiva's right, you wouldn't go to a beach and have a hot tea. Well, you might, but probably not. If you went to a sauna, you wouldn't think, that's lovely, I want a coffee. But, but... Um, I guess the difference is
1: that the ice rink is presumably in an area where there isn't naturally occurring ice, because otherwise you'd just go on the. But ice, the ice rink
4: itself is really cold. Like, the, the obviously, is it? You know, yeah, being in the ice rink is cold. Is it, or yeah. is just the floor cold? No, 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 no. I think it's work? all cold. It's all, all colder than cold yeah. ice rink.
1: Yeah.
2: Have you never been to an ice rink?
4: I think we've been expect, to an ice yeah. rink.
2: How do they
1: keep it cold at the outside ice rink at Somerset House? It's winter. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah, but it's not always like below. That was such zero. A stupid phrase no. that
2: you prompted one of the producers. <laughs> one to of have the us. producers shouted <laughs> its winter at me. Yeah.
1: It's not always anyway, this is this is boring, isn't it?
2: Can we go to the ice rink at somerset house?
1: Can we no I, look, we oh, I look silly on the ice. As you can imagine. I'm not graceful. Forty-five minutes in, maybe, but you know, I'd like one of these minutes.
3: boards, but just a whole ice rink. Yeah, be sure. You sure. should do that.
1: Yeah, it would kind of be cool. Well, let's let's continue the conversation about how ice is made later. Um, I want to hear more about Tunisia uh, because did we already talk about them? No, I want to hear about France now. That's right um, because France changed almost their entire
4: team. Seb, well, again, Joe, for the second time in the podcast, of course, I I was watching the other game. So this is oh. a question for Kiva rather than for me. Whoops. Yeah, hi Kiva. Was
3: I watching France?
4: Who was watching France? Was it you?
3: Yeah, I think oh, I. Won- back on me again. <laughs> I get
2: it. I'd have to do all the boring. I shifts.
1: watched a bit of France actually, uh, but in the pub. So I,
4: I mean, I I feel like it would be it would be an oversight not to say that Tunisia were pretty hard done by. Well, because okay, first of all, like um, they've never reached the knockout rounds in a World Cup. This is their. I think their they're sixth tournament, um, they've had a bit of a, a fallow period of the past decade. They won the AFCON in 2004 mm. under Roger Le and they had a chance to reach the knockout stages um, by beating France and you know obviously they've had independence for uh just over 60 years now from France and mm. sort of what a moment in the company's a uh, company country's history in that would have been. History. <laughs> <laughs> in the company's history the company's history yeah <laughs> <laughs> subscribe to the Athletic yeah. 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 Tunisia plc yeah, yeah. exactly and, uh, <laughs> and that's it's very cruel the way they were denied um yeah. because they played i I watched this game sort of on and off um over my shoulder but they seemed to play very well all the chances that um, were covered on the highlights nearly all of them fell to Tunisia yeah. Uh, and yeah pretty cruel and you could see actually there was a moment at the end where the Antoine Griezmann goal was disallowed so it was went to a VAR referral and it was disallowed and when it was disallowed you could see that a lot of the Tunisian fans in the crowd didn't know the score in the other game Yeah, and they thought they were through That was and it quite was, heartbreaking to watch so, we I did together. see that bit Yeah, yeah it was it was. She saw the
2: goal getting disallowed. Yeah, yeah. Not the goals. Just just, the I missed a
3: goal. lot of things. Yeah. I was interested that France made this many changes. Obviously, they're already through, but I was thinking to the summer and obviously Serena Eichmann and she didn't make any changes on the way to the Orioles final of England. That is quite rare in a tournament. Mm. I think it does happen, but it did surprise me a little bit. Obviously, there's that fear of players getting injured. Kylian Mbappe comes on at the end anyway, so obviously they were going to try not to lose the game. But it it is interesting how you play that. Like, I'm glad I'm not a manager because what do you do? Do you give all the lads on the bench You haven't had a game a game? And then that's obviously what he's done and they've lost the game. How does that impact Mm. their morale now? Obviously, they're all happy they played, but they lost. And then the...
4: Do you think it's the privilege that you earn by winning your first two games?
3: I think so. It's rest, isn't it? Clearly. Yeah. But do you not just want to keep that side together because they didn't have yeah. hardly any time in the build-up?
1: I mean, it was fairly extreme because uh, Kamavinga played left back, John. That was weird. And as far as I'm aware, Kamavinga, not a left back.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's not, not. I don't think he's ever played as a as a left back for. for I
1: don't domestic. doubt that he could do it. Yeah, but no, I've just never seen it before.
2: And and they did use they did use him sort of quite inverted at times. So maybe yeah. that was the thinking behind it. But I th- I'm 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 with Kiva. I don't really get what benefit, what material benefit do you get from completely changed? So many is the only player I think who's played in the other two games. Mm. Uh, I think Canate played in the first game. Is that yeah. right?
3: I think he might've come Abraham on in the second, the second as well.
2: Did he play in both? I've I, I a feeling that they mixed the, the, the center backs up a little bit in between the two games. Either way, it's no more than two players, maybe mm-hmm. maybe three who have, have been kept on yeah. in this game. And I, I just, I don't get what the benefit is. Like you say, the, the only positive you get really is rest. Um, but I think at this sort of point, I think that what you're talking about, the, the sort of more socio-effective aspects of the game are going to be more important. This is a group of players who don't usually play together. Um, the team that is starting in this tournament is quite different from the teams that started in qualifying. The structure is different surely the benefits that you get from playing the starting 11s or close to the starting 11s bar players who you're worried about with respect to injury, like, if you play those players together, you're getting a benefit that is that outweighs the ability to rest your team. Um, especially when you're playing, as you said, a player like Kamavinga as a, as a left-back anyway. You yeah. know, you're playing Kamavinga as a left-back because your first left-back is injured. Um, I mean, it's,
1: it's a, a difficult one, though, isn't it? Because I suppose, like, it, it, it's obvious the upside of resting players they avoid injury, right? And uh, coaches can be criticised for playing a player in a game that isn't required if they end up with an injury. It's very clear to see the scenario in which there would would be a downside to that. It's it's harder to evaluate uh, the upsides of resting players because it's not as obvious. But presumably, coaches do it. They must see a value in doing
4: that. Do you think also, Joe, that um, this is a, a kind of squad dynamics and involvement situation too? Because... Like this is a this is a French team who um, they've lost Pogba, they lost Kante, they lost Benzema, so they've already had to accommodate players who perhaps ahead of the World Cup didn't think they'd be starting. Yeah. So what happens if they need Randall, Kolo to to start a game or to come in and actually be a difference maker?
1: That's that's what I mean. I, I, I meant to say they must see a value in in um, yeah. in, in c- keeping keeping players playing as opposed to resting.
4: Because them. like anytime you see like uh, you know when, when tournaments go wrong or when tours go wrong or whatever, like one of the things that you you sometimes see is this kind of this element of disenfranchisement amongst players who firstly aren't playing but also feel like they're not even given the chance to play yeah and you you can't have that you can't have a kind of a group of people sitting at the back of the bus that's probably not how the french bus works to and from games but people who just feel right i'm just long i'm I'm, I'm just a cheerleader here i'm not actually part of this and so mentally if you feel that way are you going to be training properly are you going to be preparing tactically properly you're going to be looking after yourself physically sleeping you know following instructions around right don't use your yeah. ipad to to like look at youtube after t- two in the morning well kind of even stuff.
1: the inverse of that perhaps you know we don't know what if there are players who sit on the bench for france who are kind of knocking on the manager's door and saying i think i should start put them on for a game they're loose to <laughs> like they don't they don't knock again for the rest of the tournament you know Maybe yeah. it's a it's a squad harmony thing, is what I'm saying.
4: Yeah, absolutely. There was um there's a very famous example of this. So um if you if people Google the su documentary, um, he was a player who played for AC Milan actually as a midfielder, good player. He went, I think it was I think it was to the ninety-eight World Cup or the two thousand European Championship, and he was kind of just a little bit of an outcast in his own squad. And he made a very good documentary about it. Um, and that's kind of I suppose that's woven into the French psyche. I don't know. I, I, I can't speak for them, but it, it, it's something that happens. You have yeah. to, you have to make p- players feel like they're involved and important some way. And, and you, we're better to do that than in a game that you're, you're already qualified for. And I, I get the dynamics issue that John and Kiva bring up, but it's like, it's a necessary part of world cup campaigning. I think. I think a big part of a manager's
2: job though, is to be able to achieve that without having to feel burdened to play your players. And I think that that, that's a really important dynamic to bring across in these sorts of tournaments to make everyone feel as though they're a part of the same team, even if they know that they're a peripheral piece. Um, I've worked in coaching myself a little bit and um, I, I was coaching in the university system and we would drive two, three hours to a game and you're taking someone who won't be played because there's only so many substitutions you can make. And obviously this is like a a really sort of peripheral anecdote, but we found the best way of dealing with that was, was by making everyone who is involved aware of the fact that they were an important part of the team, even if they didn't play because being part of the team was about much more than just the actual games themselves as well. But maybe that's my bias in this, in this respect, but I do feel like clearly what's happened here is that he has felt, we can get everyone in the squad playing in, in a mm-hmm. game and that's all right because we've won the two games.
1: Well, and also people will overreact Kiva to a loss as they do whenever England play. We talked about this um, earlier in the week. We talked about it at the, the Euros last, um, last summer when England lost to, to Scotland. Um, you wouldn't be surprised at all. If, I mean, France just forget about it and, and move on to play Poland, who they're going to meet in the, in the next round.
3: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what their sort of papers are saying tomorrow and, you know, how they react to it. Because I think I've seen Mbappe posting on Instagram or something and it didn't seem like, you know, it was just a picture from, I think, him sat on the bench and that kind of thing. So I don't think, you know, they will be too, obviously they would be bothered, there's there's pride at stake here. They don't want to lose at the World Cup. I think the last time they lost at the World Cup was 2014. So obviously they, they won the last one and, you know, they are reigning champions. But I think they'll just dust us off. They won't, I don't think they'll be too forced. They won't take it in to the next game. But then if somehow they don't end up winning the World Cup, will they look back on this moment and think, did that sort of shift momentum a little bit? Did it sort of disrupt things because they've looked so good in, in those games? And then obviously they lose to Tunisia and all of them changes. I just, I do wonder how that that sort of pans out now for them mm. if they don't win the World Cup. I think they will look back at this moment, maybe. But what do I know?
2: sure i I don't think it has like a negative effect i just think that that you can get more benefits from just playing your usual starting 11 and make changes for players who do need a rest but try and keep the core the same i think yeah i think they'll be fine going forwards i don't think it's going to derail them in any way
3: i think someone like Olivier Giroud would have benefited from a rest so you could probably go through the list and pick out players like you know he might score a hat trick in the next game it's like well that rest did not good so i I guess we're kind of just waiting to see Mm. what happens next
1: yeah uh, Before we move on, I need to point out that I said lost to Scotland when, of course, the result was nil-nil. But let's face it, that is a loss, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Let's have another break now. And when we come back, I'll I'll diss more different nations (laughs) for no reason other than, uh, you know, being self-conscious about a mistake I made. Narrow-minded
2: parochialism. That's
1: right. Watch out, other countries. If I'm feeling upset, maybe I'll come after you. (laughs) Okay. We're back from that delightful break. I've calmed down now. Um, Kiva, let's talk about Darwin Nunez because there seems to be, you know, no reason to not do that. You're here. What do you think about him?
3: I mean, I really like him.
1: Mm. He's your favourite player of all time? Ever.
3: Ever. In the history of football. Yeah. 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 Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) No, he's an interesting player because every time I watch him, he does magnificent things I've never seen a footballer do. But that, is in a good way and a bad way sometimes as well. Yeah. I feel like for Uruguay, he isn't getting that service. They're in a sort of weird um, phase between like the, the legends of the game for them and the youth and experience Come Like that blend is quite a little bit, you know, I don't know, it just feels like you've got players like Darwin Nunes there and then you've got like the likes of Suarez, Cavani. It's like this sort of old school Diego Godín still there. Uh, Sebastian as I was mm. he popped up the other day and was playing for them. Like it's interesting to see that sort of old guard is still there. It feels like maybe probably a lot of last World Cups for a lot of those yeah. players. And then you've got players like Darwin Nunes, Valverde, Bentancourt, like these really exciting players. So it feels like for Uruguay they're at this sort of um, just changing of the guard, I guess. The old guard and meets the new. Um, but Darwin Nunes, I think he's, he's chaos, but. Hmm. Liverpool fans keep calling him chaos because he is chaos to watch and, you know, he scored plenty of goals this season. I think he, he will continue to do that. Do you think, he, do you think he hasn't because, scored at the um, World Cup yet.
1: No, but because Haaland arrived at Manchester City at the same time, do you think there's kind of been some not necessarily unfair comparisons because two leading teams in the league buying new strikers at the same time, That I think it's fair to draw a comparison between the two. But you think therefore that Darwin Nunes has been unfairly... Perceived.
3: I mean, Erling Haaland's on a level of his own. It's only really him and Kylian Mbappe. They're just up there now, aren't they? Together, yeah. fighting it out to be the best. And obviously, Darwin Nunes wants to be there. I feel like every time he does something. Um, you know, does something bad, it kind of gets clipped up and, and thrown on Twitter by someone, and then it gets, you know, goes viral. And that was happening quite a lot. It doesn't seem to happen as much for his goals, but then you've got like these people who are like sh- sharing his goals and being like, look how great he is. And then these people mm. are like, look how bad he is. It, I think it's really quite unhealthy actually to see it happens quite a lot. Um, but yeah, I think he's doing, he's doing all right. I just think a World Cup goal would be good for him. It, and I mean, what a game. It m- might be the game of the tournament Uruguay Ghana mm. it's going to be just so interesting with all the history there yeah. Ghana looking for revenge Uruguay obviously trying to go through I just think it's going to be so interesting to watch that game and see how it plays out and see if Darwin Nunes can score at the World Cup because you know that'll definitely be clipped up
1: of course I completely forgot but he was referring to the Luis Suarez incident
4: hmm. yeah I was going to ask you actually would, would you if you were
1: can you You're, remind listeners why it was? Yeah, before? so
4: it's the 2010 World Cup when right at the end of extra time, uh, Luis Suarez punches um, a goal-bound shot, a goal header over the bar, takes the red card, and then Asimovian misses the penalty. Yeah. Uruguay then go and win on penalties. Um, if you were Uruguay, would you start Luis Suarez? It's because it's it's, you've watched him probably more than most of us. Like, In goal, but like this just seems seems to be two sides to it like you kind of like you feel like playing him riles up ghana because the the appetite for for revenge must be absolutely huge understandably so but then also from what i've seen of him this tournament he's i don't know like it it feels like uruguay are a better side without him
3: yeah well they started cavani ahead of him against portugal that obviously didn't work out well for them they lost 2-0 but I, i do think that made me think, were he kind of like saving his legs for this game somehow? Because they think he's going to be able to have that impact. You know, we've seen his sort of decline over the past couple of years. Obviously, he won that La Liga title with Atletico Madrid. It feels like that was sort of the, squeezing the last sort of best out of his football. But, you know, he's still there for a, a mad moment. And I'm sure, you know, playing him would be interesting. And it's it's something that uruguay might might look to do given that they did rest them in the last game i think he come on as well against portugal but yeah i feel like will he not look to those younger players for more of that energy he likes a darwin nunes but it's it's going to be interesting to see what what uruguay do and go with obviously that game's on friday but just i mean i don't even know what day it is anymore it feels Mm. like i'm lost now Lost to long
1: world cup day it's day 11 Is is it That's what I know.
4: Yeah, Ooh, John. The, can I ask you oh, a question?
1: Yes. So it's it's gonna sound like a stupid question, but it's a serious question. I'm an unfit guy, right? So I I don't have fitness. I don't know what it is to fitness run zero. To is run fitness saying? zero, none. and if I was in Football Manager, I'd break the game. Uh, I have I don't know what it is to run free. You know. So I, I haven't noticed losing my energy as I've aged because <laughs> I didn't ever have any. You, zero to zero, it's all fine. But you're a sprightly man, you know, a football player. You've got, you know, legs made out of ancient oakwood trees. <laughs> um, but you've mentioned to me a couple of times that now you're in, you know, you're in the sort of... Uh, the twilight you know, of my the, years. The twilight of your, of your 30s, <laughs> let's say, that you don't have the energy. JJ said this to me too, as well. You don't have the energy to keep up with the younger people anymore. And there they are running around with their fresh lungs. Um, I, I honestly don't know what that's like. And I wonder if there are other obese people listening <laughs> that also wouldn't know. But tell me what that's like, because it must be devastating. <laughs>
2: that's an interesting angle for us to go but yeah Uh, so as as I mentioned I I was involved in the university system for 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 quite a a, a period of time Uh, I played for the first team at at my university when I was there so playing to an okay amateur level Um, and one of the things I had was just insatiable stamina and fitness abundance of energy yeah Yeah. and I hit I don't know what hit 33 and and it became harder and harder to do things yeah Um, and I I guess two things happen one is that you lose a little bit of your agility and your athleticism sort of drops (laughs) this is this is tragic no I'm
1: I'm curious um
2: Mm, so, so you mm, can't do the, th- the things that you used to be able to do physically right. but but yeah. also obviously your stamina drops as well and it, it becomes uh yeah. you can't
1: do those things for as long yeah yes, exactly yeah um, yes. so
2: yeah that's that's where you find me a, a burnt out husk of a man
1: right okay and what are we, in you in your late 30s did you notice it you said when you turned 30 because when we talk about basically the reason i say this is because we talk about footballers all the time when they turn 30 as though you know they're they're about to drop into a grave. I mean, that's, you know, uh, and uh, I, I sort of don't really understand.
2: Yeah. If you are if you're a footballer who relies on your athleticism, then your game changes. I think mm. I would say maybe around the 32, 33 for me was when it happened. Right. Um, and yeah, you have to sort of reinvent what it is that you can do. But a lot of the the players who play with more longevity, so someone like Luka Modric is a good example of that, right? He's played for a long time, but he he has a level of athleticism that, that I think is, allows yeah. him to be a a little bit more naturally fit, but he also is a very highly technical player and your your technique sort of stays a little bit longer. So players who are relying on on particular athleticism will, will probably drop off. So like Wayne Rooney was quite an athletic player when he was, when he was at his peak, and, and that dropped off quickly. And it, yeah. it felt as though as soon as that hit, he dropped that, off. It? Yeah. Yeah. Um, whereas someone like Cristiano Ronaldo is the opposite, where he's, sure. he's really on top of his, his phys- it, physics. It's,
1: it's funny when you said, you know, 32, 33, because uh, I don't know if you, were, if you remember this also, Seb, but he, uh, John, you described it like in the same way that I imagine like people having a growth spurt when they're 11 or something, you know, like suddenly growing four inches in, in one summer. Has it happened to you, Seb?
4: The growth spurt,
1: or No. The, the, the
2: <laughs> you just wanted to uh, pull all of us down. Is that what no, you're no, I'm, I mean.
1: ju- I'm just curious. Is, is, is You know, have you lost that uh, foot of pace, whatever they say?
4: No, I, I well, I, I I played a lot of football in my um, late teens and early 20s and had a, a succession of back injuries and... You were problems. an excellent goalkeeper right here. I was fine. I was okay. Um, but I also, so from quite a young age, I had um, sort of pain and um, I don't know, I kind of... I didn't play much beyond that. So I was never, I accepted that um, my days were numbered in the amateur football world um, from probably about 23, 24 onwards. Mm. So I, I just, I, I got ahead of the curve. Yeah. Um, so no, <clears throat> I didn't notice it. I do notice now, like I, when I've been, <laughs> when I've been sitting down for quite a while. <laughs> if, I dance, <laughs> if I get up, I've got a, a pain in the front of my knees. Yeah. yeah that feels great. So yeah. I, I've gone from, it's not like I've gone from pace eighteen to fourteen. I've gone from like agility four to one. Yeah, youth
3: yeah. is wasted on the young. Well, I
4: was gonna say, yes, Kim, what was going to say, Keith? What about you? Do you it's have any? I'm so from young being Sedentary.
3: I'm still in my twenties.
4: Still in your twenties. Who about, invited us
3: doing
2: ultra marathons? Get
1: out! Get
2: out! You experienced aging in any way?
3: No. Um. No. no I what What is your so.
2: experience of aging, Keith? <laughs> <laughs> I think what I'm good. You, what about you, Joe? I feel as though you. You feel you don't feel any different than you did 10 oh, years ago? Oh,
1: I feel not a day over 13. <laughs> no, I feel, um, I put my back out once a year, let's yeah. say, and then I have, to, I, have to, I can't stand up straight for a week. But it's sort of fine, you know. And I keep thinking, oh, I should see someone about that. But then it gets better.
3: I mean, I haven't actually, I, I did lie there, I have experienced age and I started playing football again mm. recently for the first time in like 15 years. Yeah. I just haven't kicked the ball that long uh, with Sefton Park Rangers in in Liverpool and honestly I just was like how do people run around the pit like I'm writing yeah. about these people all the time how do they just run around for that long
2: mm.
3: I wish I would have done it sooner just to be like yeah to remember good it, on you know, it's,
1: it's kicking the ball as well I played foot golf with JJ a year ago and I haven't I still haven't forgotten that for honestly don't laugh at me John but for a week my thigh <laughs> on my kicking leg I swear it was broken. My thought, <laughs> it hurt, it hurt every day I woke up just from kicking the ball. And there was only, it was 18 holes, you know, yeah. it was about, it was about yeah. you know, 36 kicks, to, <laughs> two <laughs> kicks every, uh, I lost that one. But, um, you know, you say running around, but even just kicking the thing, Anyway, now this podcast has descended into me describing how, I, um, how <laughs> bad my body
4: is. To, um, to get us back on track, so the, uh, the chat reminds me that the Vikash Dorisudh documentary was 2006, quite right, uh. as well. But then I can this sort of proves the point. You know, beyond a certain age, time just passes, right? It doesn't You know, get no sense of when stuff happened. Time passes. Yeah, so We don't yeah. know what day it is anymore. No, so. no, no. There you go. No. <sighs> points are bad and ageing is bad. Messy points are bad, I think.
3: And I brought cupcakes to this and it's all descended into real sadness. He had his That's cupcakes too early. Keeper. I had
4: it too early. He, he, he had them too early. There are more I out had there. it four hours
1: ago. I should have eaten one just before we started. Anyway, never mind. Um, Seb, what changes are FIFA proposing for 2026? That seems like an easy <laughs> tangent.
4: Very strange one, Joe. So Adam Crafton for The Athletic this morning reported that there is a uh, discussion afoot about potentially introducing penalty shootouts after group games. Um, from 2026 onwards as a way of awarding bonus points for drawn games now um, I'm against that what I'm really against is any suggestion that that should happen before a game takes place uh, can't have that yeah. we were talking about that earlier Kiva that it, that offends me actually the idea of what a
1: penalty shootout taking place before a before game before a World Cup
4: group game That's yeah. just yeah. silliness just right? doesn't make
3: any sense do those MLS Running 90s penalties. the run up ones yeah like hockey yeah, I think we should bring them in. I well, don't know why, why that it hasn't happened sooner.
2: Before the game, so that it prompts one team to try harder because they know that if it's a draw, they're going yeah,
4: to... Yeah, because you've with. also got three group, uh, three team groups from 2026.
2: Oh, it's going to be such a bad idea, isn't it? Yeah, the old 48 That means that you're going to have the final game of the group with the teams knowing what they need to do, which seems unfair for the team who isn't playing, right? Yes.
3: They do yes. this in the Conti Cup. Um, watch Liverpool women do a few penalty shootouts after the game but there's never really not one in it because if teams have drawn they've already got a point and then it's like a bonus point so i guess it's like this little moral victory but yeah. they also do it in the papa john's the old pizza trophy i think they do it there
4: but don't you feel also that like penalties is such a fundamental part of knockout games in the world cup football like it's what you like it's kind of the crescendo of the drama it's the ultimate tension if you start introducing them in group games like functionally like i understand the need to kind of to differentiate and to, mm. to, to kind of prevent some of the issues that may develop. But at the same time, like at the cost of, I don't know, like you don't want to see penalties too often. Can like, I say something as well? I, yeah. I feel
1: as though penalty alternatives to penalties, i.e. games being drawn and going to penalties as a decider does need to be found because I'm so sick of penalties in games. Yeah. I don't care about penalties. I feel like there are very few stakes anymore. Whereas if, if a game were tied at 120 minutes and you and you were going to a decider, something akin to penalties, but as Kiva suggests, for example, it's the MLS run-up style thing, or it's something else that had real jeopardy, drawing something lots. that was actually special, <laughs> drawing lots, and flipping a coin, <laughs> something that was special that you, you know, didn't happen. What well, I mean, I don't. You probably don't know this off the top of your head, but how many penalties are there per ninety awarded in the Premier League, for example? 0.94.
2: Really? So it's no, virtually one a doubt. game. I made that. Up. Okay, but it it doesn't it doesn't sound
1: me. that wrong, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, that's that's all you could requires, say. <laughs> yeah. Let's assume it's. You the, said it with real confidence. Yeah, I, did, I There would yeah. be
1: one person in the chat who would have proved that wrong, but nobody would listen to them. It would have been fine. <laughs> um, it does feel like there's one a game or one every other game, and they're extremely dull. So if you saved those, uh, those, um, those, uh, you know, moments after after 120 minutes of something special. I would enjoy that. Anyway, listen, we have to move on to Points of Bad now. Um, let's all put our headphones on. Keep have you got headphones?
3: I've got headphones. I brought cupcakes and I get headphones in the You'll,
1: you'll want to put the headphones on to hear this lovely song. Uh, feel free to dance if you wish. You don't have to. There's no rule about that here. But uh, producer Jamie, key us in with Points of Bad. Fire really?
2: her up, Jamie.
3: <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: Not bad. Uh, There we go. Wasn't that fun? Maybe that's why all the headphones break if I throw them on the floor like that. Could be, couldn't it? Anyway, who cares about headphones? It's time to play Points Are Bad. Uh, Sadly, as discussed at the beginning of the podcast, JJ did get his uh, predictions in in time, so we're not going to have as much fun today as we thought. But let me tell you, Sebastian Stafford I want to see a big beaming smile on your face, and let's, Jamie, let's cut to Seb there, so we can all see him enjoy this moment. You are today's winner with an incredible score of only five added points. Round of applause for Seb there. Five from four games is five impressive. Five from four—that is impressive. Well done. And do you know what me. makes it even more impressive? Tell me. Second place is only nine points. I mean, that's goodness me. That's four points away. You're almost twice as good as everyone else here, except yeah. Kiva, because she didn't play. Yeah. There we go. Very exciting. Okay, John, uh, you had a bad day on 10 points, and I had a normal day on 11 points. (laughs) And that's how that works. (laughs) Fine. Uh, So we'll come back to the grand total so far. As of day eleven later, but before that, it means I get to go first. John gets to go second. JJ gets to go third, and Seb gets to
4: pick last. Is
2: it the first time you've picked last, Seb? Yeah, it sure is it your first win?
4: Yes. Because I won. Oh, yeah! Look
2: at that. It's yeah. going to be terrible, isn't it? He usually struggles when there's only been one person's <laughs> score. He's going to have to remember three. <laughs>
1: He's going to have to remember so many scores. Okay, so tomorrow, match day twelve, we have Croatia, Belgium, which I could have sworn was a game that already happened. <laughs> Apparently not. I have absolutely no idea. And I'm going to say uh, 1 0, because Croatia are going to hold onto the ball the entire time, and Belgium are rubbish. Yeah? Uh, fine. John, what do you think about Croatia, Belgium? 2 0. 2 0 to Croatia. JJ has asked uh, Croatia. He said a 2 1 to Croatia. So, Seb, we've had 1 0, 2 0, 2 1. Croatia. Wow, okay. He is drunk on his own success. JJ is the only person to predict any goals for Belgium, and we've all predicted a Croatia win. Fine, moving on to Canada-Morocco. Of course, uh, Canada are already out of the tournament, but presumably will want to impress in their final game. Morocco could still go through, I believe, John. Yes. Yes, okay, fine. I'm going to say it's 1-2. Morocco will have two. John, I'm
2: going to go 0-2.
1: Nil two. Okay. Uh, JJ Ball here has asked for a nil two and he's asked for a one two. Ah, so he gets his nil one. So he thinks nil point to Canada, one
4: to Morocco. (laughs) Sebstaff, applaud. A lot of scores I have to remember now. Um, I will take a one one. You can have a one-one, good sir.
3: So you can't pick the same. You can't. cannot. That's so fun. because
4: Seb
1: got the best score today, he goes last, in which my means head he has the least chance. like that,
4: scene in the Hangover, with all the numbers going on around my head. Sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
3: yeah. yeah. I
1: don't. Except we both
4: know how good you are at maths.
1: Although I can't talk because today I can't count. No. Uh, okay. Japan, Spain is next. I feel like uh, Japan are already out. Oh no, they're not. Oh no, they're not. They could go through. They're going to play hard. Mm. They did beat Germany. They're good in transition. Am I right, John? That's right, yeah. yeah. Okay. 2-1 Japan.
2: Who are they playing? Spain. You're going 2-1 Japan?
1: I'm going 2-1 Japan. I'm doing it. John, what do you think?
2: I'll go nil, two.
1: Okay, that's different to what but, I said. As long as now, that's Spain. That that's is winning. to Spain, yes. Now, uh, J, uh, JJ says 3-0 to Spain. Seb Stafford, are you going to join me in Team Japan?
4: 1-0 no, Spain.
1: Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So everybody else thinks... You're wrong. ...that they won't score yes. any goals except me, who thinks they'll win. <laughs> Does Now you can start to see why I'm in the last place, can't you? Yeah, okay, fine. And the final game of tomorrow is uh, Costa Rica-Germany. nil mm, 4 I'm going for a 4-0 win to Germany. Uh, John, what do you think? I
2: quite like nil 4
1: Do you? Mm. You can't have it.
2: Let's go...
1: I think Germany
0: have Should got I a point a to prove. I've got to
2: catch JJ up, haven't I? Not five, yeah. Oh, <gasps> he's gone five now. Look at that!
1: Okay, great, 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 great. Uh JJ Bull. That's a, Do you know what this is exactly the right attitude now? We're we're over halfway through these games, you have to you have to go for that. Um okay, JJ has said for Costa Rica, one, Germany. One. He went for 3-0 first, then he went for 4-0, then he went for 2-0, then he went for 5-0. So you can have a 3-0. Uh nobody uh to predict any goals for Costa Rica yet, Seb. so you could. Uh, buck the trend there, but we've had a, a, a 3, a 4, and a 5-0. Uh, 2 nil Jeremy. You think 2 nil Okay. What a boring set of predictions that is. But fine. That is our predictions for tomorrow. And Kiva, can I ask a favour of you? Yes. Would you read out the grand total so far for day 11? You can see here the name above the score. And if we go in reverse order, so we start here with me, with me and my number.
3: <laughs> so, Joe... 99. Yes, I'm and on then, 99. Am I going points. backwards here?
1: I want to go in backwards, order of number, downwards.
3: Okay, this is very confusing for so, me. So,
1: then we go here.
3: Okay. John.
1: Oh, dear. 91. John has slipped to third place because of a resurgent Seb Stafford
3: Bloor. 86. Oh. <sighs> He's five ahead of me.
1: And, of course, in first wow. place, Kivo. JJ. On and he is
3: watching.
1: He is watching. That's true.
3: He's always watching.
1: How many points has he got? Eighty. Eighty. See, today, if he had forgotten, and we could have got him with that, the punishment
4: of five penalty points per fixture,
1: he would have been in last place.
4: It but he has also saved you from breaking three figures first. Yeah.
1: Well, you never know. I could get zero points all of tomorrow. That would be, that'd be impressive, wouldn't yes, it? Yes,
2: with your your rogue Japan result coming through. <laughs>
1: with my brilliant mind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we laugh. Anyway, John McKenzie, <laughs> thanks so much for joining us today. Yes. Seb Stafford-Bloor. Thank you, Joe Devine. Kiva O'Neill.
3: Thank you very much for having me.
1: And thank you to Craig and Jamie in the production box over there. Big thumbs up and a wave. Lovely job. Okay, we'll be back tomorrow with, I believe, JJ Bull is returning. Um, and uh, we're going to watch some lovely games and have a good time. Yes. Okay. Bye now. Everybody wave at the cameras. Bye now. Yes, bye.